Acts chapter 13, portion from this chapter, and then turn to our text, which is found in Mark chapter 2. Acts chapter 13, I want to begin reading at verse 26. And again, this is an address to the Jews there at Jerusalem, particularly. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whomsoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, and they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet they yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are his witnesses unto the people and we declare unto you glad tidings how that the promise which was made unto the fathers God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children and that he raised up Jesus again as is also written in the second psalm thou art my son this day have I begotten thee and concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He saith on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after that he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified in all things from which we could not be justified by the Lord Moses. We'll end our reading there. Again, the declaration that forgiveness comes through the work of Jesus Christ alone. We have then also in our text in Mark chapter 2, if you want to turn there, Mark chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, the verses that we're taking as our text. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there. And reasoning in their hearts, why doth this man thus speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God only? Who can forgive sins but God only? This morning I want us to think on the subject of forgiveness. More particularly, I want us to think about what I'm calling the why of forgiveness. Before we do anything further, let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father in heaven, now we would pray 
that you will bless this word. We pray that you will bless this time. We pray that you will bless our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you will bless the Son of God by allowing for his sake us as those that believe on him to be helped of the word of God. We pray that you will feed us as you do the flock that you say we are, feeding us with the green grass and leading us unto the still waters of the word of God that we might find not only that which satisfies, but also that which makes us glad. Lord, I pray that you will bless us, lead us on, allow us to go from thought to thought as directed by thy spirit. And I pray that you will help me as thy servant. I pray that you will give me thoughts in my own heart that allow me to speak of Christ in that way that is acceptable to the Lord our God and for the glory of the Lord Jesus. And these things we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The obvious thing that we would have to ask as our time together this morning is uh, this question. What do these two readings have in common? Well, the answer is that they both have the crowd of unbelieving Pharisees being confronted with a subject that they knew nothing about. That is, the subject of the forgiveness of sins. In fact, I would like to include another reading that presents the same crowd being rebuked for the same that in reality... um, as the Lord Jesus had predicted, caused them to fall into a ditch. I want you to read with me then Acts chapter 5. We read some part of this to start our service this morning, but Acts chapter 5, verses 26 and following. Acts chapter 5, verse 26. Went the captain with the officers and brought them without... Ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and, and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye hang, slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel. We have at three different instances... A crowd of self-righteous judges looking about at each other 
fumbling with obvious truth and trying to condemn all that they haven't contrived in their own mind. Who can forgive sins but God only? Is what was asked in that roofless room that we read of in 2. We might inquire at this point. In response to what they had just witnessed, what kind of forgives sins but God only? You say, what do you mean? First, the, 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 the palsied man that was healed, the Lord Jesus, told him to take up his bed and go to his home, told him that his sins were forgiven. In response to this, you'd have to conclude this, that the man's sins were forgiven was obvious. For there he walked away. And in their haste, were the Pharisees unintentionally confirming what they were adamantly denying? Were they confessing unwittingly that Christ was God? Well, the answer is yes. So what kind of question was that? Second, were these judges rendering their verdict that the power of God that they had just seen was, in fact, blasphemy? Are you saying then, because you cannot deny the power of God here, is that then by their way of thinking and their words, are they calling that power of God blasphemy? Again, what kind of question is this? Now we can conclude then that the response of the scribes and Pharisees that day was not particularly well thought out. Now, it is unfortunately true that when it comes to the subject of forgiveness, Almost all of us have conclusions that are not very well thought out. We tend to hang our hopes of forgiveness on ourselves and how we bring ourselves to God. That is what the Pharisees were all about. And we will consider more of that thought in just a moment. I present that the common view, the problematic view, and a view that is unwittingly embraced by many Christians, is that forgiveness is, in reality, earned. Forgiveness is treated as if it is the product of spiritual jumps in self-righteous judgment and or the clutching of emotional demonstrations. An example of this thought might be this. Well, if I am sorry enough, that will stand me in a good place before God. If I have tears... Or I have deep regrets. 
that will cause the Lord's benevolence to me to be greater than it might otherwise. I want us to consider this subject because forgiveness of sins is an extremely vital part of the gospel. It must be understood for us to have the rest that the Lord Jesus says he gave to the heavy laden. I would suggest this, that your rest of heart, soul, and mind is only found in the knowledge that all is right with the Lord your God. Until you have that knowledge, until you are convinced that all is right, you will never have a rest of any sort. So, coming back to our reading. What can we learn from these Pharisees, or as I might call them, uh, birds of a feather? What is there to observe in them that can instruct us and make us wary of the same mistaken thoughts? Well, my subject, my proposition to you, and that which I'm going to seek to prove and use as a background for our thinking, is this. The misunderstanding of the truth about forgiveness... And what that misunderstanding produces is not only a feeling of the lost, but also of the saints. Let me say that again. The misunderstanding of the truth about forgiveness and what that misunderstanding produces is not only a feeling of the lost and ungodly, but it is also a feeling of the saints in many cases and at many times. So, I want us this morning to look at the accusers of the Lord Jesus, these who in Mark 2 asked that question, who can forgive sins but God only? And I want us to think about what that issue is and how we can learn from it. So, in looking at these people, the first thing I want you to see about this response or this ignorance, if you will, is that it was, yes, in fact, a matter of ignorance. Having the heart where you think that the forgiveness of sins is something that comes to you based on how you come to God, present yourself to God, what you feel within yourself, how you conduct yourself, how you confess your sins, and whatever else you want to say, what you might do to convince God to be merciful to you, it's all a matter of ignorance. Now, it is absolutely true that the Pharisees had no clue about what they were seeing that day when the Lord Jesus healed that man. It is also true that their hatred and rage at what they saw in led them to murderous plots in the days that were to come. points that should instruct us too. And here's why I say here was a matter of ignorance. Number one, and I say think about this for yourself. First, there was an ignorance of the one who can forgive. There was an ignorance of the one who can forgive. 
Now, there was no understanding, obviously, on the part of the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers that were gathered in that room that day. There was no understanding of the nature or the person of the God that they claimed to follow. Children, yes, but the Lord Jesus also had to say, but you're not of my father, you're of my father. Your God, we might say, the inference was from the words of the Christ, was that as a man kept and followed the notions of their hypocrisies, he was in a place where somehow forgiveness might show itself and come to them. As long as you do what we say, as long as you follow all of our traditions and laws, then you might find forgiveness sometime. In other words, the understanding of the God of mercy and the place of faith in that God was unknown. And I would say it might be well uh, thought through or might be considered that any response on their part to the question, why are your sins forgiven, might come the same response as was made concerning the ministry of John the Baptist. We cannot tell. <laughs> why are your sins forgiven? Well, we cannot tell. Well, now let's stop right there and ask the same question of our Why are you forgiven of your sins. Let me repeat that. Why are you forgiven of your sins? Now, note that my question is not and I dare say that many Christians cannot answer that question easily. Some may not be able to answer it at all. Why is that? Well, the answer is that you do not really know the one that can forgive as you ought to know him. You know some... You may even say you know a good bit about the Lord Jesus. Well, I'm going to step back and ask you a question. Child of God, do you ever have struggles with a question about whether your sins are really forgiven or not? Let me say, you're, you're unusual if you say, well, no, I never have. <laughs> hmm. My answer to you is that you are not stable in the knowledge of the why sins are forgiven. If you are troubled, I don't know whether to feel that I am forgiven. The reason for that is that you are not stable in your knowledge of why sins are forgiven. And let's explore this. We read this earlier. We sang this in one of our hymns this morning. The why of the forgiveness of sins has nothing to do with you. 
Well, see, there's your problem. If you have wrestlings about whether you're forgiven with sins, the problem is that your eyes are all taken up with yourself. You're thinking that there's some reason the why has something to do with you. No, it doesn't. Yes, yes, you may and should confess. But that is in the subject of how sins are forgiven. It is not the cause of sins forgiven. It is not the why. The cause why is the Lord. I will present to you a couple verses from Psalm 86. You memorize these verses. Psalm 86, verse 4. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul, for thou, Lord, art good to forgive. He is ready to forgive the reasons for forgiveness of sins lies in the heart and the mind of God. He forgives for his reasons. And my point that I'm making at this juncture is only this, that when you struggle and your heart does not feel stable in the knowledge of forgiveness of sins, you don't know the one who can forgive sins as you ought to know him. But then this comes to number two again. This is an outshooting of the first thing I just said here. Number one. Not only is there an ignorance of sins, there's also an ignorance of underlying a purpose of God for his people. The Pharisees had no clue what the redemptive purposes of God are and were. They had no clue. Even the best among the Pharisees, Nicodemus, we read of him this morning, even he received the Lord's gentle rebuke for his ignorance of the way of God's salvation. They did not know anything really about the purposes of God's redemption. Everything was linked to their lifestyle of law own self-righteousness. Now, I want us to understand that our problems with the knowledge of forgiveness of sins is not only that we don't understand or know the one who forgives sins as we ought, but we are no different from the Pharisees and that we are ignorant about the purposes of God as we should be knowledgeable. We believe the reason God forgives sins unfortunately is not often connected with the true reason. And let me give you an example. I think sometimes it is in our minds that we believe that God offers his mercy because it is good for us. He wants us to have the joy of the Lord. He wants us to be free from the bondage of our sins. Well, it is. A, a true, that is true, and there's no doubt about it. 
But my point to you is this, and I underscore this, and I say this with emphasis. God forgives for Jesus' sake. Not for anything that has to do with you. God forgives sins for Jesus' sake. Let me put it to you a different way. The Father is preparing a people for Christ. Christ is the delight of the Father's heart. And the Father then is eager to cleanse the people that belong to Christ. For Jesus' sake. The why of forgiveness. Again, the why of forgiveness is Christ is going to receive a clean people. Period. That's why. Your forgiveness does not rest in how sorry you are. Though, I will say this. No sorrow shows no repentance. But that's not the cause. That's not the why. It doesn't depend on how well you pray. Or how well you walk after your time of confession. The cause is Christ. We are being prepared for Christ. The Father cleanses from all sin because you must be cleansed. His purpose from eternity is as Paul in Colossians chapter 1 verse 22 is to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 13 we, are, we read of the purpose of God is that he might establish our hearts unblameable in for God at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your God has a covenant promise with Jesus Christ that he will present to Christ a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The why of your being is not because you deserve it or because somehow you reached a level of sorrow and contrition that allows you to be acceptable to God. It has nothing to do with you. And it has nothing to do, sorry, to all those who are trusting in the Church of Rome. It has nothing to do with the conscious assent of the priest who can tell you, go away, your sins are free. Nothing to do with anything other than the covenant promise of a holy people. up and say this I underscore you have a God that is eager because of the love that he has for Christ have a God that is eager to put away sin but as I say we are ignorant of that purpose we keep it in our minds kind of have something to do with me 
You know, I really think that for me to be happy or content that I am forgiven of my sins, it really has to do something. I have to do something to be a part of it that I can look at myself and congratulate myself and somehow pat myself on the back. Yeah, you did it right. You really, that, you confessed that sin just right. You, you, you went down this road of contrition just right. You were just what you needed to be. Therefore, come up off of your face. Rise up. You're fine. You say, that's pretty harsh. (laughs) Uh, If only we were harsher with ourselves, we might find ourselves leaning to and running to the Lord Jesus more quickly, which is what we ought to do. There's an ignorance truly understanding the one who can forgive. There's an ignorance of the underlying purpose of God for his people. But there's also an ignorance of the actual result of forgiveness. To the Pharisees, to be, forgri- to be forgiven was to be able to thank God that they were publicans. To be forgiven would allow them to walk with a swagger in their step. See what I am. See how well I serve. See how valuable. Do we have Pharisees in the, in the church today? Do we have those that would walk around thinking, the reason I want to be right with God is so that I can walk with some sort of a swagger that people would notice how valuable I am? Now, I'll back up. I will say, I doubt any true believer would have such a way about him as I just described. But there is often an ignorance that suggests that the result of forgiveness is just the forgetting of my sin and my going forward. I am forgiven, and, and the big, the great result of that is that now I can forget the, the sin, and God can forget the sin, and we just go forward. That's the result. And let me say this. The result of forgiveness is not just forgetting, either on the part of God or of us. The result of the forgiveness of sins is the removal of the offense. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. It is a removal. It is a lifting from your case, and hallelujah, by the power of the Spirit of God, from your mind and heart. There is a removal of sin and offense toward God, and the taking of it away, and putting it in that place where it can never be found. We might ask, well, how far away is that place? Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And I say to us, let's not play the proud. Let's not think that forgiveness is just a benefit to me. And it has something to do with me. 
you will be miserable if your heart is set on that thought. Rather, let's learn about the person and the purpose of our Savior. Ground for rest from sin and the of forgiveness. We are forgiven for Jesus' sake. And when he forgives, he takes away so that there is now no spot. There is no stain. It is gone. I suggest then the reason why there was a problem with the Pharisees and one that we face in ourselves is that there's a matter of ignorance. I will suggest a couple of other quick things and with this I'll be done. I want you to see second that it was also a matter of impertinence. It was a matter of impertinence. The response of the scribes, and I'm being a little sarcastic here, the response of the scribes to seeing the Lord Jesus forgive that man that day was not a concern for doctrinal purity or the honor of God. They were not jealous for the work that belonged to God alone. That had nothing really to do with what they were. The question, who can forgive sins but God only, was in reality an accusation against Christ. And it's somewhat amazing that in the face of the power of God and the obvious good done for the poor man, that they would lift their voice to accuse Lord Jesus of saying what they judged was not his to say. Here was the impertinent anger of those whose father was the devil. And you might even say that that strain of impertinence on their part goes all the way back to Eden, where Adam decided that he would follow his own counsel and eat what he wanted to, no matter what God said. Oh, Adam wasn't quite the, the helpless innocent that just simply took a bite of the fruit unwittingly. No, there was, an, there was much more to it than that. My application to us is simply this. When we bring ourselves to the Lord and lay our confession of sin out in words of complaint or dissatisfaction or faithlessness with our God, there's no way that we grasp the reality or the rest of forgiveness. There's no room for accusation. There's no room for self to be justified in the confession of sins. If we try to do that, if we try to make excuse, if we try to make allowance, if we try to even make a, a little room for ourselves, then being completely needing the washing in the blood of that place you'll doubt the benevolent heart of God toward you you'll, you'll doubt that God loves you 
was a matter of impertinence on their part, but I have to say that sometimes you and I are guilty of that very same thing. But also, with the Pharisees, it was a matter of inclusion. To the scribes and Pharisees, acceptance with God was based not on faith, but on meritorious works of law-keeping, which, by the way, there is no such thing. Even when we do what we are told, that is not the grounds of our acceptance, and it can't be, because any good work you ever do is tainted with uh, self and sin. You can't divorce that until we get to glory. We'll always have that. There is no self-righteous doings that can obtain our acceptance with God. The rich young ruler came to the Lord Jesus and asked the very, qu- very question. You know, all these things have I kept from my youth up, yet what now what do I lack? <laughs> what you lack is saving faith, young man. Barely in that terms, but that was the truth. What you need to do is let go of all these things that you have, that you count as worth. Well, the scripture says his worth was in his worldly goods, but you have to say, let go of all that I might even put it this way and I know this is not in the context of what Paul the way Paul says it but just a little leaven of self-righteousness leavens the whole lump all of it's no good the whole of your coming needs to be looked to again our hope is in the blood of the Lord Jesus. First John chapter 1, verse 7. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Understand that Christ Jesus is the why. He is the power. He is the performer. He is the judge when it comes to sin and the forgiveness of it. Is all his work and none of mine. Our place is to believe on that work as sufficient. And my point again this morning is simply this. When we are in that place, when we cast on the Lord Jesus and the hope of our forgiveness is all tied to him and what he has done for us then we are that man that rose up from the the bed that was carried through the roof went to his house rejoicing why because he was I would have to say that's a big part of it but things had been put right with God We are now in that place where that for us is the only reason for us to rest. Are you? What does it mean? I think in some ways for us to rest is all the same as saying that the words for Jesus' sake would be on our breath before God at every instance at all times. When I come to my God, whether it is in worship or whether it is in confession,
whether it is for needs or whether it is just to draw close the words for Jesus sake well that's all our plea for Jesus sake indeed resting in Christ his worthiness and his work is for us rest indeed would you have rest in the matter of the forgiveness of sins learn of Christ grow in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior his love Paul says in Ephesians chapter stand what is the breadth and length and depth and height learn of Christ but not just learn of Christ as he looks and relates to you learn of Christ as how he relates to the father When you understand that more and more and you see how Christ indeed is successful before the Father in all things and the things that the Father says that he both delights in and will do for Christ. There's grounds for resting. The why of forgiveness. It's Jesus. Well, may the Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning for Jesus' sake. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you will bless this word to our hearts. We pray that you will allow it to be that which is used of the Holy Spirit. Not just to teach us, but oh God, to move within us. That we might rest as you would have us to rest. Lord, bless your word now, we pray for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name. Amen.